You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Hey investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest and fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. As we track the market, keep you guys up to date with what's going on in Toronto, in the GTA, as investors, and as a broker myself, I like to know what's going on in the market, where there may be opportunities for us, and how the hell are we going to deal with this affordability crisis that has struck our city, and will wreak havoc for the years to come. Well, we recently came across this really cool idea, the mini mid-rise, which really led me down this goose chase and ultimately an invitation to our guest today, Nama Blonder from Smart Density. You can check them out at smartdensity.com. She is an architect and urban planner and has won awards for her proposal, this idea of being able to buy a single lot and add lots and lots of houses on it in, a, in the main road. So today we talk about some of the challenges we face in the past as it comes to urban planning and how maybe laneways and garden suites and some other past ideas might not have actually served us in the city but why this could be a game changer at a time when the city is searching for affordability and for ideas. In my opinion, we all have our own opinion, but this is mine. This is the best thing on the table that we have in front of us and something that could be a serious shift in Toronto and ultimately trickle through the GTA and meet wherever you are across this great and wonderful province. So today we have a wonderful conversation. If you could, as you're learning and getting value, as we talk to guests like Nama, please hit the like button, subscribe, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Nama, how are you doing today on our show? Very good. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to have you join us from Smart Density. And I've been reading about some of the exciting stuff that you guys are doing over there in the news and took the opportunity to reach out to your team directly to say, we have to have Nama come on the show and share some of the amazing ideas that could be the golden solution to the housing affordability challenges we face in the city. Um, before we dive into some of the concepts, the ideas you guys have formulated, could you share a little bit about yourself? Tell us about how you got to where you are today. Wow. Okay. So Smart Density is an architecture and urban planning firm. I am an architect and an urban planner. And I really, that that's the premise of our business, to merge the two perspectives of where policy, urban planning, where the city anticipates growth and density, and architecture, design, and how buildings actually work. And it's been our secret sauce since we opened almost five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that that's a different angle. And I guess a lot of people understand architecture and what that entails. And obviously, we're going to get into some development ideas that you have. But what is the urban planning, maybe to bring everyone up to speed? And now not to, to discredit the, the savviness of our, our listeners, a lot of listeners probably do, but just so that we're all on the same page, what does that look like for you and your business? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. You know, my partner was uh, an urban designer at, at the city of Vaughan. And I oftentimes saw, you know, the eyes <laughs> rolls when, when people, uh, uh, when he said, I'm an urban designer. So everything that falls under this urban planning and urban design. Um, so basically an urban planner uh, will have, their the role would be, you know, more about discussion about height, density, where this, what is the general direction? What are those big visions that we want to see? You know, a lot of the times we talk about 25, 30 years, that's tomorrow in urban planning terms. Um, so, you know, when, when we talk and we often say, oh, the city, 
or the process. So that's urban planning. And how do we make it more efficient, right? How do we see the growth that we want to see? Toronto is growing with or without us. Yeah. How we build for that, plan for that, and what is the vision? It's a very interesting space to be in these days because I think there's a lot of confusion and just disagreement on what people would have the city of Toronto look like in the next five, 10 years. And I think that maybe it's a bit of uh, the city catching up to us and people realizing we got to get a bit more of a handle on this. There's a little bit of chaos uh, as far as what ends up happening. And um, for, for our audience's sake, you and I had a conversation before we got into this, and maybe we can start here, is some of the ideas that are before us today on, on how to address the lack of supply issue, which is maybe not the full equation, but definitely a big component in the real estate industry right now. And the solutions have been subpar, right? We're talking laneway housing, garden suites. Maybe there's some other ones that you've seen coming down the pipes, but I have yet to see one that I think will, will be that, that thing to take us to the next um, 10 years of development and addressing the issues we face. Maybe tell us about your experience so far and, and, and where we are today. You know, when I'm asked about the future, I always say, let's look into the past because we have a 40 year old policy that not only protects, but keeps the, our houses, the neighborhoods, as they are, as the neighborhoods are. You're not allowed, so, you know, if you would come to the city, you know, three years ago, all you could do with a house is demolish a house and be, build one of those monster homes. That's all you could do. You couldn't add units. You couldn't have, you know, we're looking up to Montreal or any other European cities when you have these walk-ups or, you know, several levels of, of, of residential units. Here you couldn't. And that is, a, it's been like this for 40 years, right? So yeah. when we talk about policy changes, we, we have a lot of work to do to, you, you know, and you talk to me about, not you, we talk a lot about the affordability crisis. You can only build higher density on not even 10% of the land of the city of Toronto. So when you're, and again, it leads to, the, to, to your urban planning question in terms of land use, you can only build mid-rise and tall buildings on land that is designated mixed use or apartment neighborhoods. Yeah. This is, that, that land accounts for 10% of, of the city while 75%, you can't do anything there. So we can't really be surprised when we hit by this insane affordability crisis because we are bounded to this, pol to this policy. And you mentioned laneway suites and, and garden suites. I mean. This is nice, but we're going to need a lot of laneway suites to solve the affordability crisis, a lot. So I don't think that's enough. Like our office, we don't do that because we don't believe it's enough. Uh, so when we get a call from a homeowner, you know, we need at least four units on a property because that's what I believe personally, that this is smart density. We need to be near transit. And these neighborhoods are desirable neighborhoods, you know, you talk about the 15-minute neighborhood, they're near transit, near retail, walking to your coffee shop, we need to build more in those neighborhoods. There's some good stuff in there, and not to discredit folks that are capitalizing on the opportunity to invest in garden suites and, and uh, laneway housing, I think there's a good opportunity for the investor, but it doesn't address the amount of housing that we need. And one of the good points that you made there is this, you know, this idea of the yellow belt, this idea that we have such a small fraction of 
areas that we can actually develop, let alone the slow process in the development of those areas. So there's a lot of roadblocks that are happening here. And I like to think that um, just keeping up with the news and to bring everyone up, maybe go back, everyone listen to our last episode. We were talking about some proposals coming to the province to try and streamline this and, and hopefully some of them get some traction. But my question for you, Nama, is what do you see then with all of these things in mind as good development? What does that look like for you? Yeah, that's, that's a question that keeps me very, very busy. So for us, anything that, you know, for us to take a project, it has to fall under the smart density definition. It needs to be near transit. And, and then in our projects, we ask to be, you know, to have zero parking. And that is a, a huge component even before the city changed their, their parking requirements because parking is very, very expensive. Um, and it has to be in those, you know, urban centers. It means that it's already established, you know, not suburban feeling. So for me, good development is this 15 minute neighborhood style of, of thinking. Everything is walkable. And, you know, we talk about the trade-off, right? Okay, I get it. So it won't be 2000 square foot house on the fourth floor. I get it. But what you're getting in return, the fact that you can, you know, walk to, to a museum in, in, in over the weekend because you're with your kids and you don't need to take care of your roof, right? Or in the, I, I have friends who, who moved to the suburbs the same week that we moved to our three bedroom condo too, because I, you know, we, want to, we wanted to stay in the city. The same day she had to buy another car and she's telling me, you know, even if I want to walk around, there isn't even a, there isn't even a, a sidewalk in my neighborhood to walk walk on. So this is the trade-off. So if you ask me about that vision, is more density in existing established neighborhoods. Interesting. <clears throat> now, does the size of the unit matter? I mean, you mentioned take my small kids. Uh, and then we kind of, I guess to you, how would you define the missing middle? Are these are these two-bedroom condos? Are these townhouses? Are they what what does that look like in order to satisfy the demand to keep young families in the city? I'm really glad you asked that question. So the missing middle, let's cover the definition to make sure that we are on the same page. The missing middle is re referring to any type of building or housing that is m more than, or has more units than the single family house and is not the mid-rise and tall building. So according to the city of Toronto, we are talking about multi-unit residential buildings up to four stories. And you mentioned, you know, your investors, and you mentioned how laneway suites have been a good investment so far. Why stop there? Why, if it couldn't be, you know, a triplex, a fourplex, we're working now on an eightplex. From an investment point of view, makes much more sense. You know, every house that already, <laughs> you know, can get a laneway, the, the price of land reflects uh, reflects that potential. And, and it's really about getting more, getting more units and getting more housing options. And for me, the miss, so we covered the definition of the missing middle, but the missing middle for me is also about the missing middle of, you know, mix of units and mix of income. And they've, you know, right now the housing supplies does not reflect the diversity of our city. It has the houses that most of us can no longer afford, our generation. And it has the really small condos. And let me tell you, I've been, I mentioned my three bedroom condo. It was 
really, really hard to find. Like the supply of family friendly, something that is closer to, you know, European standards in terms of what it is, really hard to find. That's the first time I've heard missing middle defined that way. I've always, my perception of missing middle is, was maybe more vague than the definition you gave. It was this idea of having a place for someone to go that isn't a one bedroom or a den or bachelor condo, but a place where you can have two, three bedrooms that's within the 15 minutes. The way that you said it was, it's a four unit or within. It's a a multi-unit up to four stories. So, so where do we even find those? Like they don't exist. <laughs> they don't, yeah, where you find them in, in Montreal and in uh, European cities. Yeah. Um, in, in Montreal, it actually, you know, we walk in Montreal and we say, this is wonderful. This is so urban. And yet a development application comes in. You hear all the NIMBYs that you can possibly have. And I always say, if we're having a discussion around height in three to four stories, this is not about height. Yeah, it's about something else. It's about change. It's about new people coming to your street. It's about, you know, people that are different from you. This is not a a debate about three or four stories where it's allowed as of right in the zoning that you could have that height, but just for a monster home, it it cannot be the thing. It cannot be the real issue. so I really like the way you defined it because it's it's definitely the softest definition of missing yeah. middle. That's mm-hmm. why I said for me it's also about diversity and mix of units and mix of you know income and opportunities. That what, what do you do if you can't you know build a buy a house and you're basically pressed to move out from the city to the suburbs? And you know so where you find those so we that we currently are working on several projects uh we have a 15 unit uh project that we're working on it's on a single lot and it's four stories so we have an approximately three to four units per floor and you know with a really good mix we have one bedroom two bedroom and three bedroom and usually and the two bedroom and three bedroom are kind of a loft style and you usually don't hear about this mix in such a small project because developers are really trying to push for the smallest square foot p- possible. And I get it because price per square foot is so expensive. I think the missing middle really opens up an opportunity, right? It's not that massive building. It's not as expensive to build. And it, it, it really opens up the, the opportunity for something else. And you know, also, I, uh, I always say also from, you know, simple things like building materials, things that we cannot, for example, using wood or wood facade in, in, uh, in those buildings that we cannot have in taller buildings because of code requirements. You can't have anything wood related in a tall building. But the missing middle, because it's so small, it's small it gives it this boutique kind of feeling of really unique design, which I love. What is the height on that point? What is the height that you're able to go up as far as stories and using wood before you have to start getting into, um, you know, high rise structures? Okay, so the building code allows buildings up to six stories to be constructed in timber. Now, when I mentioned the wood, I I actually meant it in incorporating war materials in the facade. So it's different from the structure of the building. Most of the buildings you see here in the city are either concrete in the you know, mid-residential buildings 
or uh, just simple stick frame, all the houses, this is how, how they are built. So the four stories, it really depends. The foundation will be concrete. It could be wood frame. I mean, it really depends building to building, but definitely the option is there. The building code to, to answer your question directly is up to six stories could be built in timber. Yeah. Um, so to, to kind of close that point out, what's shocking to me is that the city of Toronto is defining that as the missing middle and that it's needed and I don't see any push to do what you're describing, which is what's why I'm so drawn, why I think the media is so drawn. There, there's something in here where you're actually doing what the city wants to see, what people want to see, what the city needs, which leads us, and I definitely want to dive into this idea of the mini mid-rise, which is kind of what you just described. Tell us, I guess maybe your, how you got there and, and describe it beyond what you have already with why the mini mid-rise. Okay, so the mini mid-rise is a concept we developed and it won the Ontario Association of Architects Award, the Shift Award for Resiliency. And I really encourage your listeners to check it out. It has a very provocative image that's drawn a lot of attention lately. Um, and uh, go to our, our website, smartdensity.com, and uh, you'll find it there. But the mini mid-rise is basically, it, first of all, it doesn't fall under the definition of missing middle that I shared. Like it's not, it, according to the city, it's not, and I'll explain why. The mini mid-rise is basically said, we said this the following. We asked ourselves, ourselves, why don't we see more mid-rise buildings in the city? The, the city of Toronto had, 11 years ago, put in place the guidelines that really wanted to see more mid-rise buildings, more, you know, on the avenues. And when I say an avenue, it's, it's an official term to our main street. So Bloor, Dundas, College, St. Clair, uh, Eglinton, all of those are considered an avenue in the city's definition. And yet, and yet it's been 11 years, and you definitely see those, but maybe not enough, not the amount you would expect. And one of the things that we realized is that the assembly of several properties, right? Because sometimes all the big corner lots, okay, they were developed as mid-rise, done, deal, great. But now you need to really assemble because Toronto's main streets lots are pretty narrow and deep. So you need to consolidate about four, five, six, seven, eight of them in order to have a decent frontage for a mid-rise building. So we said, why not taking the mid-rise design guidelines and we will just deploy them on a single lot. And that's why you saw in that, uh, in that, in that image, which is a six-story building on a single property, something that looks if we took it, some tell, tell me Tokyo, but it's, I would say, more Amsterdam than anything else. And it's just a townhouse, but it's like six stories. Uh, we have two units per floor. And, um, and in some cases, we're working on it's four, if the frontage is wide enough, four stories per floor. So we really reach 18 to 20 units easily, very, very easily. So... Yeah, so we presented this concept to the city uh, because we wanted to make sure it's gonna work. Um, it has no parking, but that's okay because it, it can only happen on 
but can only be built on those main streets to begin with, Bloor, Dundas College, which already has great transit. So no parking and uh, the city loved it, got a, gave us the green light and, and yeah, and we, <laughs> we proposed it as part of the Ontario Association of Architects Shift Award and we won and it got some really great publicity since then I have to say. And, and I will say, I also love it. That's why I said, we got to get these guys to come on and tell us a little bit about it. Thank you. What, what size would these units be? So let's say you've got, maybe we'll stick with the model of six stories, two units per story. What would be the approximate size of that design that you've got initially? Yeah, so we reached uh, 700 to 1,000 per unit, square foot per, per unit. And again, it depends on the frontage of the lot. So if we have you know, 25 feet of, of frontage, we could easily fit uh, two units on the front and two units in the back. Wow. And you can see uh, on the plans, we put all the circulation elevator stairs um, in the core of the building because uh, that is the most efficient way to do it. And then you have this little bit of the building plan is actually of a stretched U shape. And you will see there's this in, in kind of an interior courtyard in some cases, and that allowed us to also have more natural light to the, to the unit. So we want to increase the number of bedrooms and bedrooms have to have windows. And that interior courtyard also functions as a social gathering place. Because remember, this is not the massive condos with, you know, gym you pay for and pool you pay for, which is an advantage because condo fees maybe that should be another topic for your <laughs> for your uh, podcast but condo fees is a huge burden on, on affordability so the missing middle is really for this type of, of scale of project really opens the, the door to not paying six hundred dollars you know per unit on condo fees because you won't have those amenities so this courtyard is is you know, functions as a social gathering place. The circulation is there, also brings natural light to the units. So it's a kind of a win-win. So you can see in the plan on our website how it, how it actually looks like. The other thing that fascinates me is this broken telephone on what is what defines housing affordability. Is housing affordability a place yeah. for someone to own, which is very much the pitch of the real estate boards? Or is housing affordability a place to rent within your affordable means, which is a whole other issue? Or is affordable housing subsidized affordable housing? You, you mentioned condo fees. I'm curious, this design, does it lend itself to any of these sections? Or is this built specifically for condominiums and, and for the purpose of selling it and eventually leading to home ownership among Torontonians? I am so glad you asked this question because I'm sure that a really high percentage of your audience wants to know the definition of what, what are we talking about when we talk about affordability? So let me tell you, it's, you don't know the answer for a good reason, because there isn't an answer. No one defined, not at the federal, provincial, or municipal level, what are the affordability <laughs> formula that, they, that they're using. So, you know, when I advocate for affordability, I volunteer with organizations that, you know, deeply affordable, people that you know, experienced homelessness. Um, when I personally, in, in our practice, we talk generally about housing affordability, not affordable housing. Housing affordability, what are the options that you and I 
you know, our generation is facing, because let me tell you something, we think Toronto is unaffordable now. Can you imagine Toronto in 25 years from, you know, <laughs> what our kids will experience? And I know we think, oh, this is now, this is crazy. It's, we've seen nothing yet. And let me tell you on a personal note, I moved here from Tel Aviv uh, eight years ago, Tel Aviv, Israel. And Toronto eight years ago was the affordable option for me. And the reason we left Tel Aviv is the affordability crisis. We couldn't see a financial future for ourselves. And we said, okay, we, we can't, we can't, we can't do that. And since then, Toronto did a really good job in, <laughs> in keeping up with the affordability crisis or worsening the affordability crisis. Um, but that, it, that's gonna be the thing. People are gonna leave the city because if they don't see a future for themselves, like make, make no mistake, Toronto will lose talent. And when we talk about housing affordability, it, there's a wide spectrum. So when you hear, you know, municipal plans or things like that, they define according to market rate. So they would say 80% of the market rate, et cetera. And let's leave that aside. We're not here to talk about, you know, uh, deeply affordable units. We're here to talk about what are the options. And I would say it's not enough to build and pump to the market more and more units. We need to make sure that we, are, we have a diverse, you know, mix of units to reflect our needs. And it's not just, you know, the pre-construction investment. There is a market out there of, you know, young families willing to spend, looking to buy, and the, and the option doesn't exist. The option doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the stats speak for themselves, right? We've got 80% of development focused on condos, majority of what, or not, maybe not majority, but a good chunk of them are purchased by investors. But then we look at what the demand is for young families. 80% are looking for low rise or this missing middle category that simply doesn't exist. And I, I see the brokenness in there. So, so just to clarify and to bring it back to that, the, to end that question, are we looking at condos and or rental suites or are we, is this, whole design based on purchasing and owning in the condo market? No, absolutely, absolutely not. It could be, and that's that's the great for, you know, investment. It means that the developer doesn't need to have, you know, the access to massive capital as you would see in mid-rise and tall buildings. It could be small projects in eight next to a 15 units, something like that, right? Or 20 units. And it could definitely be, you know, even moms and pops or investment investors who are looking for, their first uh, project to, to go ahead. And the product doesn't matter. Condo or rental, it doesn't matter. The city doesn't give bonuses if it's a rental company or a rent, rental product. Um, so it's really up to your performer and your investors uh, performer to, to make the call on the product. Yeah, yeah. So, so interesting, right? Because we've seen massive boosts and maybe there's, we can speak just for a moment on some of the, the effects that we've seen in past policies, but it's astonishing the speed at which laneway properties have gone up in value overnight. And, and now the timing of this is also interesting because we see a big push, a search for dealing with affordability. This, I, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are, but I really see this taking traction. I mean, you're obviously doing it, but I would love to see some of our investors on our podcast, which are investors with multiple properties, maybe not massive developers, though we have those too. The vast majority are investors that want to, you know, have a property, maybe a two level on an avenue 
and they want to be able to convert them into something that they can actually find occupants for and add a significant value in the city in a place that has restricted them from ever doing that. So it's all of these, I guess, moving parts are, are very interesting, interesting to me. Uh, but maybe out of all of that, I'm curious, what have we done in the past? How has it adversely affected the real estate market? And how is this different? How is targeting the missing middle or what we're kind of proposing here going to not do that and, and essentially squeeze more people out by adding more value to properties that we currently have? So I will answer that. I will also mention that Landwise Suite, and, and you know, when your audience is on our website checking the mini midrise, there's also a project that we did called the Eight Flex. And the Eight Flex, what I liked about it is it, the Eight Flex, unlike the mini midrise, is really within the neighborhood. So when you mentioned the house in the front and the laneway in the back, you just described Toronto's neighborhood, and you mentioned the Yellow Belt, which I'm glad you did, uh, because it all starts there, right? That land use designation that I mentioned at the um, what I like about the Aplex is that it looks like just any other modern contemporary design house that you would have in any given street, and yet it has eight units. So when your investors who are, you know, the owners of several properties, I mean, obviously <laughs> choose one that, that could uh, yield the best uh, result, but I mean, I would actually advise against just having a laneway suite while you can build in the same volume. That's the whole premise. You can build within the same volume as a house, just you know, having more units each uh, on each floor. So two, most of the times two. That's how we, we landed on the eight flex policy and and what we do to to change things. And and I mentioned that I I am you know I moved to Toronto years ago. And I remember taking the subway, I don't know, somewhere like Butters or Crispy, not too far. And then I walked and that, I started walking and, you know, steps away from the subway, you have these neighborhoods of just single family houses. And I, and I remember thinking, how far did I go? Like, because someone who, you know, I studied in Paris, I, I lived in Tel Aviv, for someone who's coming from you know, I always say there aren't any backyards in Paris, and yet you would love to raise your kids there. For someone who's coming from this typology of, of cities, it blew my mind that steps away from expensive infrastructure, okay? This is taxpayers' money. All you can have is that single family houses, and you have the, you know, few that enjoy the investment of, of all of us. So when we talk about, you know, policy and what can be changed, we, we should really start there. I see. I see. So I, I'm going to get your thoughts on what's coming through 2022. But based on what you're describing here, this not in my backyardism, you know, people not wanting that change. Have you found that the, the image of a six story on the main streets, it is, as you mentioned, like, it's definitely like, what is this? I'm curious, is this something that we, but then you're talking about how we can have these detached uh, instead of a lane, we have multiple units and you almost can't even tell the difference. So I'm curious, like, do you see a lot of pushback as we do this or are we, is this just, um, maybe, maybe there's not that many, I, I'm, I'm just curious, what's the feel out there? How many people actually care that their, their little detached neighborhood is seeing these multifamilies and how much is it um, more of a, a like the voice of a few kind of 
permeating through the media and, and making us all think that this is a big issue and, and holding everything yeah. up. So about the mini mid rise and, and, we, and just remember, this is just six stories. Six stories is not that tall. It's not that high. It's not that provocative. I think what's, you know, it's very catchy on that image is that it's pretty, it's a narrow lot. And then we went that yeah. six stories. But um, here's the thing. When you, when you talk about the mini mid rise and you talk about the main streets, Bloor, College, Dundas, people expect density or you know development there so in terms of objection we we didn't have any because they say okay it's dandas like of course where would it be it's a commercial street um so we never had that any problem with that um, when it comes to the neighborhood you know what surprises me when i you know present a, a project to the community and we are like, let's say 150 meters from a subway station. And I say that this project doesn't have parking. And they, and they say, do you expect us to believe that families could live without a car? Uh, yes, <laughs> I expect you to believe. First of all, I, I live without a car. I live this car-free lifestyle. I live downtown, I walk downtown. I, sorry, I work downtown and I walk to work. And, uh, and I hope, you know, and I have kids. I hope to, you know, maintain that for as long as I can. But the, the, you need to understand that this is the future the, the city is heading and it's more sustainable and it's more affordable and city council wants that every, within five years, that every ride within the city will be made using public transit. So not using the car for like small short rides. Because as I said, if we're talking, if we're mentioning height as a problem in three and four stories, it's not about height. Um, and so we, we have definitely some sensitive points that we know how to work with the community, you know, walk around them, uh, explain, you know, we, we know how to, to talk to communities and, and address their concerns. It's not about height. It's definitely not what I'm trying to say is it's not your typical, NIMBYs against mid-rise and tall buildings. The conversation is different. Um, what else could I say here? So, yeah, so it's 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 different, and you definitely hear those voices. I mean, who goes to community community consultations? Those who object. So, if you you know, if we're really trying to fight NIMBYs, we need to go to community objection to community uh, consultation and and speak to the benefit of projects. So. If there is a missing middle project coming in your street, go make sure you know your voice is heard that you think is a good thing. Um, yeah. So, so what I find interesting, obviously, we've got a provincial election coming up, which is going to skew some things. But I, I'm interested in some of the amazing proposals coming in. You know, where we don't have these necessary community meetups for if you're just doing a minor variances and some of these really controversial ideas that seem to be creeping up that we're going to, they're going to become more vocalized in the media. But I, I'm curious where, with your conversations with the city and obviously the encouragement they have about doing some of the things that you're describing, what kind of changes do you foresee us having in the next 12 months through the course of this year? Do you see any policy changes? Do you see, um, Maybe it just being a psychological shift where people are are more welcoming, and maybe the 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 stage being set for future development, or or maybe centered more around transit oriented communities being a big push. Obviously, a lot of it's going to come down to the current election and what the the winning provincial party's position is on it. 
But I'm curious, what kind of changes do you see happening between now and next year? I'm glad you you brought up uh, transit oriented communities because you know how like in these elections, even in the last federal election, it was no longer accepting voices against investment in transit. But if you look back, you know, five, ten years, or even you know further into the past, so I'm glad to see that shift that transit is no longer on you know on the table for NIMBYs. Transit is a, is a good thing. Investment in transit is a good thing. You know, it may be painful while it's in construction, but the value of your property, if we're talking about investment, it's uh, almost magical. The discussion around housing, I want to see some bold politicians uh, not accepting the voices of NIMBYs in the election this year against housing, against, you know, affordable housing projects that we see, against the discussion that development is bad. You know, you, you had that article in the star for the, the community of the beaches. If you want the village, you know, that village experience, leave the city. Like it, it, it cannot, Toronto is not heading to be a village. So I want to see some bold politicians and bold leaders leading this, uh, this election. It's gonna be very, very interesting because I think uh, housing, you know, no doubt housing will be, will be on the table. Um, so you probably can see it very, very clearly or too clearly, but I, the, the street you see behind me is Butters. And Butters, when, if we talk again about land use and policy, Butters is the end, is the edge of downtown. So everything west of, of Butters is not considered downtown and everything is east of Butters still considered downtown. And you can get this really clear image of the missing middle because you have these really super low rise buildings. And then, you know, right east of Batters, you, you see 16, 17 stories and it goes up to the downtown core. So um, it's very interesting. The next time you have this, you know, vast broad view of the city, um, check it out because in Toronto, it's so appear, apparent that you look left, all you see is low rise, you look right, nothing in between okay so i guess to wrap this up um unless you have any other kind of foreseeable changes through 2022 what i really hope comes out of this podcast now obviously i tend to lean towards the investor i try and give a voice to the tenants where they don't have it um or or you know pe people that are a little more hesitant and, and there, there's of investors and the whole concept of investment. But what I really hope we can find here as a balance is a recognition that supply, if, if we can have smaller investors, a platform for them to do it, we can add supply, create rental units, which we are doing just not in the areas that they're needed or create units that are available. Because I, as someone who is relatively well off, I'm getting to a point where I'm concerned for my children. Right. And, and to know that there is a mini mid-rise opportunity coming in the next 10 to 15 years for them to be able to at least get into the ownership model on their own. That that's what I want. And, and, and I'd like to think that that's common across the board. And, and that's what I really love about this idea. I think it, it is a, a middle ground for everyone. And maybe I'm wrong. Folks can leave comments down below on if maybe I'm off base here, but I love the idea of us coming together to create housing in different ways. It's regardless of how, but but also, as you're describing, form our city in a new way. If anyone's going to lose, it's going to be those that fight the NIMBYs, the, right? the ones that are fighting for the city to be as it is, their land values to rise, but not to share in it. 
But I tend to think we've reached, as you've mentioned, a point where, generally speaking, we all agree our city needs to transform to, to tailor to all people groups, not just those that, that have land of high value, but low um, value to our overall city and, and supporting our city. So any, any other thoughts on these things uh, as we wrap it up? And, and also, if you could share with us where people could find more about your projects, learn more about what you guys are doing. Thank you. No, I think you actually put it, it was beautiful. Like really, you described it perfectly. Um, so I'll just wrap up. I'll mention that so you can find us at uh, smartdensity.com and see all the projects and concepts that are currently not confidential. Uh, they're all on our website, but there's some really interesting concepts such as the eight flex and the mini meteorite. Yeah. Guys, support this uh, episode as well. You can share it on Instagram. You can tag us at Watson Estates as well. If you have any questions for myself or Nama, you can leave those on YouTube. Um, but Nama, really appreciate you taking the time to come and we're gonna keep an eye on everything you're doing. You might have some investors hitting you up and, and really trying to elevate our city to the next level with you. Good point.